Hi, I'd like to uh, ask you to do something for me, if you wouldn't mind. If you like this episode, I'd like you to uh, not only subscribe uh, on your favorite site, but I'd also like you to uh, give a rating. Uh, ideally, a, a five-star rating would be you know, greatly appreciated. But I think more importantly also would be just uh, some uh, comments. Uh, that helps with the algorithm and it helps build the, uh, the audience with this. And more than anything else, if you could um, invite somebody else to listen, just share this episode with a friend, with a colleague, and uh, I'd like to see how we can grow the soul of business. I think it makes a difference. Thanks. Hello and welcome. Welcome again to another episode of The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. Um, Folks, I have been fascinated by creativity all my life. Just, you know, what's the source of it? You know, just kind of how do people imagine things? And then, yeah, how do things actually come into play? And, and those of you that have listened uh, to me talk for a while, have uh, heard me say this, that everything uh, that we've ever experienced in life, everything that we ever will experience in life is invented twice. First in the mind, in the imagination, and then second in physical form. And Today's guest, uh, I am absolutely thrilled. Grace Hawthorne uh, is an entrepreneur. Uh, she's an author and an educator. Uh, she's uh, adjunct professor at the Stanford Design School, the D School, uh, the you know the D School, um, and she has written a fascinating book. She's actually written a couple of books, um, but her idea or her her uh, tagline, if you will, is uh, ideas into possibility and. That's what I want to talk about today, because when we think about the soul of business, the soul of business, I mean, every business starts as an idea. And then in some way, shape or form, it actually takes form. Yeah. And there we go. We're off to the races. So the idea here of making possibilities happen uh, is something that I wanted to explore with Grace. And when I uh, received the note uh, from uh, uh, her agent about uh, having her on the show, it was like, this is, you know, I love serendipity. I love how life works. This is perfect. So I've invited her on, and I'm excited about this conversation. This is going to be really fun. So, Grace, welcome to the show. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to have this conversation with you as well. <laughs> the, the, you know, the, well, I'll just start with a question, the soul of business, and then we'll just kind of go down whatever rabbit hole appears here. But Right. When you okay. hear that phrase, the soul of business, what does that bring up for you? The soul of business. I think of soul. Um, and I think when I hear the word soul, I think of the word essence. Right. And if you want to, um, a business exists because, to your point, a person gave form to a concept and our idea. And usually the essence of a business, it has a purpose. It has a why. And that's derived from the person who put forth the effort to shape it. Um, so for me, soul is kind of the essence of why it needs to exist. It's the why of the business. Um, and I think a good example, well, let's just use the D school. You mentioned the Stanford D school. Yeah. The D school is uh, a place at Stanford. It's like a design hub. It's a hub of when and design isn't a matter of aesthetics. At Stanford, it's uh, a matter of innovation yes. and change. And so the D schools, why, or their soul is about transforming people. Because in each and every student that whose lives that we intersect with and we touch, they have infinite solutions inside of them. 
and, you know, and they could go on to teach or they can go on to do. And that's, that's amazing. Right. So that's the soul of the D school. So when you say soul, that's what I think of. You know, uh, part of what you talk about there, uh, at least it evokes in me, you know, this notion of ontological design. Yeah. You know, designing an environment so that it designs me in return. And there's a reciprocity in that. And yeah, yeah, I've done a lot of work. Yeah, IDEO has been a client of mine. And I would imagine you're familiar with IDEO, the design firm. Yes. Yeah, they, they've been a client of mine for about, goodness, going on 18 years now, I think. Um, wow, really? Yeah, <laughs> we've, got, we've got a history. Um, but just the, the, the way that, and I used to take my clients to IDEO, you know, you know to uh, explore different ways of designing workflow, of designing uh, market uh, process. I mean, just all kinds of different things. And it was fascinating working with them uh, to take a look at just, you know, there's something latent inside us. How do we actually bring it out? I mean, which is what I think that you were talking to about, you know, the ethos, you know, the essence of the D school. Um, you know, one of the things that you teach is not only creativity, but I was, I was struck by this when I was actually reading a little bit about you, uh, in prep for the, for the, uh, the conversation here, you teach courses on creativity and failure. And yeah, that's not something that a lot of people would, uh, actually teach about. So can you talk a little bit about the place of failure in, in the whole epistemology of, of design and success yeah. and creativity? Most definitely. Um, so it, when you're creating something new, I mean, how many times have you said to yourself, like, oh, I'm going to do this. And it just, you hit it like the first time, right? Like, time. I mean, if we, <laughs> I was going to say, like, if that happened to all of us, like, everybody would be happy. We'd all be, you know, whatever your idea of success. We'd all be gazillionaires because we said, hey, I'm going to do this. And it turns out right the first time. It's never like that. And in fact, this idea of failure, failure is a compass. It kind of tells you like, oh, no, a little bit more to the right. Nope, a little bit more to the left. And it's a wonderful thing. And I think the word failure has this negative connotation. Yeah. At the D school, we say fail early, fail often. Because the smaller failures early on, you can make the adjustment and build on that. And you make an adjustment and you build on that. And so yeah. over, like if, if the X axis was time and the Y axis was like the optimal outcome for a project, if you waited until month, let's say eight out of 10, and I said, blame, check it out. This is what you told me to do. And you'd be like, oh no, that's not, we had a huge miscommunication or, oh, there's something that you missed. And I would make an adjustment. I'd only, you know, imagine 10 months, you know, eight out of 10 months, I'd make a little adjustment. But if you started and I checked in with you at month two, month four, month seven, like I'm going to come closer to the optimal outcome. Yeah. So failure yeah. is something we should celebrate, something we should embrace. And it's hard because our brains are wired for certainty, comfort, and safety. And failing, well, that doesn't feel good. And that means you're in a territory of the unknown, right? So there's all these things that are counterintuitive that we avoid. And I want to say failure is probably one that we, right? Because back in the day, failure me meant death. Um, yeah. And in these days, it, you know, you don't have a woolly mammoth chasing you. So, you know, if you, you did a misstep, like you probably wouldn't be here, right? But nowadays, that's not the case. It means something different. 
you know, that, that whole notion of failure, I mean, the, the idea of, of failing forward, you know, sort of a thing that was a rapid iteration, uh, sort of a concept. There's, there's a, a piece in, in your book and folks, I want you to pick this book up. It's, it's, uh, a, a, you know, those of you that are watching the video, uh, version of this, make possibilities happen. Um, how to transform ideas into reality. There's a, there's a piece in here about midway through the book where you talk about the difficulty of starting. And those of you that are leaders of teams, leaders of new projects, leaders of an organization, or an entrepreneur just starting a new business, starting, it's, it's that moment where the idea becomes crystallized and now it's time to, <laughs> yeah, the rubber meets the road here. What's the thing that you have in play here in terms of the, your way of working with this paralysis around starting oftentimes? You know, and I do call it a paralysis. It's kind of like sometimes it's just hard to get off the dime. What, what, what goes on yeah, with that? No. So I, I'm glad you mentioned that because, I mean, in part, the reason why I wrote the book is because I, I identified two pain points that stand between us and our possibility starting mm -hmm. and finishing. And obviously you can't finish anything you don't begin. And I feel like this, the concept of beginning, the paralysis comes out of fear, fear of failure, fear of judgment. Possibly, I don't know where to start. Like the, the outcome or the task, let's say I say, I'm going to build a $10 million business. Like, well, I'm at ground zero. I just have an idea. Like from here to 10 million, that that's a, that's a lot of things and yeah. a, a, it could be a long path, right? And the enormity of that is so heavy. And that is enough for people to be like, yeah, I'll just do that later. Or I don't know when I, now's not a good time. But you know that, the adage, it's like, it, there's never a good time, right? Yeah. You just have to begin. And um, the way we do this in Creative Gym, so I teach a course on Creative, it, called Creative Gym. It's one of the uh, longest running classes at Stanford, and it's a personal skill set. And it's uh, what the research that I talk about in the book is based on. Um, and what we do to get people to create this bias to action is mm -hmm. we kind of the forcing function of short timed activities where they have a constraint of time, a constraint of materials and a prescribed outcome that we want them to have. And it's sort of like, um, you know how you have a, let's say you have a six pack. How'd you get that six pack by doing sit-ups? No, so these oh, no, little I, I, timed activities. <laughs> no, I went down to the store and bought a Wait, bought wait, a wait, wait. <laughs> well, you bought, you bought your six pack? I bought my six pack. You gotta tell me your resources. I, I need to find mine and um, I, I, there's no store that, that sells them near me. Um, so, so you have to do the sit-ups. So yeah. these little time activities are like sit-ups to create this bias to action because your brain is actually a muscle and you have to condition it. And, and, and with that, you have unlimited possibilities, like literally in between your two ears. Creativity is an unlimited resource we all have. It's just up to us mm -hmm. to cultivate it and access it. Now, cultivate it and access. Well, you know, one of the ways that I've defined uh, success, particularly success, uh, sustainable success, yeah, the idea of, uh, and who was it? Um, uh, Earl Nightingale, I think, 
uh, goes back a, a number of years here, but Earl Nightingale was asked to, you know, what he thought success was. And he said, it's the pursuit of a worthy ideal. And that worthy ideal, you know, something that I can fixate on that actually you know, is worthy, is, is the goal worthy of me sort of a thing. And then I, you know, amended that a little bit and looked at how do you sustain success in life? How do you actually sustain? Because people are looking for, and, and I want to talk about this because they get attached to certain outcomes um, or certain ways of being and doing. Um, so I you know, started thinking about sustainable success from the framework of non-attachment and worthy ideal and essentially defined mm -hmm. it as being the activity of con developing the capacity to continuously start over. Developing the capacity to continuously start over and, and capacity mm -hmm. as opposed to skill. Yeah, because most people have the skill to you know, do at least basic things. You know, you know, we get out of bed in the morning, so I, I know how to get started in the day sort of a thing. But yeah. the capacity is a container. Um, and the larger the capacity, the larger the container, the more effective I'm going to be over time, I would think. So I'm just kind of riffing no, here, and I'd, I'd like your thoughts on that. No, no, no. I, but, but I want to build on that because I feel like capacity, uh, you said skill and capacity. The skill to start over and the capacity. Yeah. The, the they're skill different things, but they're tied. The yeah, they are tied. Yeah, yeah because, because because you're the skill is is part is what's gonna build your capacity. And I think mm -hmm. that is exactly if I, you know, not to kind of keep bringing it back to this idea of creativity, but we did this creativity study at Stanford. It was a decade-long research study, and a brain surgeon came up to me after creative gym and said, is my brain different? And I said, yeah, sure. You just had 10 weeks of training. You know, we just had this wonderful course. He's like, no, is my brain different? And I said, you're the brain surgeon. You <laughs> should tell me that. Like, I don't know that. But the two questions, the study, and this is exact, it is exactly what you just said is, um, is creativity something that can be taught? Mm -hmm. And is it something that once you have, you have forever, like acquired knowledge. Like once you know how to ride a bicycle, you forever know how to ride a bicycle. Or is it something you need to exercise like sit-ups to maintain? Mm -hmm. And the answer is yes. So to me, the learning or, yeah, I can teach creativity. You can acquire creativity. That's the skill, right? And then the mm -hmm. capacity is, it's unlimited. You have unlimited capacity, but you have to... A, put in the work and the time yeah. to build that capacity. And that capacity is limitless. Yeah. And uh, um, I guess, and, and that's yeah, how I kind of want to respond to what you just said. No, I love that. That That's a great way of kind of marrying those two together. Uh, and the idea, you know, if I've truly learned something, and this goes back to the, you know, you know the uh, plasticity in the brain and did my brain change? Uh if I've truly yeah. learned something, I've actually been transformed. I'm not the same person as I was before I learned it. And you know, riding a bicycle is a great example of that. Uh, before I learned how to ride a bicycle, I was a, you know, a little boy that didn't know how to ride a bicycle. But the moment I learned how to balance, that balancing act, that learning that, gave me a sense of self that was fundamentally different than it was before I learned how to ride the bike. You know, my identity yeah. had changed. And yeah. part, of, part of creativity, I think, you know, particularly in a business context, has to do with re-identifying re who we are. Who am I? Where do I belong? Who am I? Where do I belong? 
that question, both of those questions, uh, to my way of thinking, are living questions. They're not finite questions. Yeah, they, Ab they absolutely a thousand percent. I mean, if you're not growing, you're dying. Essentially, if we're plants and we're not growing, we're dying. So if you put that in context of our projects and our businesses, you talk about balance when you're riding a bike. And the analogy I like to use, just because it's a really easy visual, is a surfer, right? Yeah. You're on a surfboard and you're trying to balance. And while it appears as though the surfer is just doing this and standing still, <laughs> there's probably a million micro adjustments that are happening because the wave underneath is doing a thousand different things that the board is reacting to that he, the surfer in turn also has to react to. So this idea of balance, it sounds like a finite point. It's mm -hmm. not, it is a constant movement. It, it shouldn't be balance. It's about balancing, right? And to me, balancing is adjusting. And that's, what again let's bring it back full circle it's about starting again starting again and everyone you know even if you're not an entrepreneur we all do this every day every yes. meal i make i start again every morning i wake up i start again i mean you're beginning again probably a thousand times a day without you even being aware of it so it's not this novel concept no, it's but i i think people treat it as you know, i mean start over it's kind of like i don't want to be a beginner um, and, you know, oh. particularly for adults. Um, and this is particularly true in my experience with senior executives and organizations or people that have got some modicum of success running their own companies. It's kind of like, I, I know the answer. I know how to do this. And to ask them to oh, become learners crap. again. That is a trap. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's kind of like, what do you mean start right? over? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's and, crazy. and maybe it's not, maybe starting over sounds like you're erasing what came before you, but that's not mm -hmm. really the case. You're building on what you've already accomplished. Nobody can ever take that away from you. And yeah. I want to mention that about ideas. Like, I do think people overvalue their ide ideas, not ideals, right? They think, like, oh, I, I don't want to tell you my idea. You might steal it. It's like, yeah. okay, well, you know what? Ideas are a dime a dozen, they aren't worth jack beep unless you actually put in the time and activate them and try to bring them into this world and what's truly yours like is so just like deeply hidden in the context of you that nobody nobody can duplicate who you are trust me whatever is uniquely yours nobody can ever take away from you so don't hold those ideas too tightly. Share them freely. We live in a whole world of abundance. And the more you share, the more likely you might like find a like-minded person that's going to work on that idea with you. And then you've got leverage from that point. You know, as you were talking about that, I just flipped the book, the book open. Folks, you got to get this book. I mean, there's, there's gold in here. But I flipped the book open and it said, uh, this is on page 78, set your ideas free. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, that, I just flipped that page. Set your ideas. For, don't hold on to them. Don't hold them tight. Set them free. Yeah, they need to breathe. They need to get out there. And they do. Yeah, they do. We all have great ideas. We just need to kind of get out of our heads and get to work. That's it. And like, don't worry about being uncomfortable. It's gonna be uncomfortable. Don't worry about failure. You're gonna fail. Fact. Gonna like. Fail. 
that's just, you know, and it doesn't get any less comfortable. Like I just seem to be on a path. I'm a torchbearer for the analog. Um, so I'm not your typical tech, you know, uh, savvy person. <laughs> I really believe in interacting with our built environment. And that's how we build our intuition by having real experiences with the real world. And um, I want to make sure that these tools that kind of give our, that really build certain parts of our brains that I feel like the screen does not address at all. And yep. so that's what, that's like sort of all my projects lead me that way. And do you think that's like a popular topic? Not really. <laughs> you know, do you think that I face lots of challenges, you know, daily on every, in every front and facet of what I'm trying to do to bring these like tools and these products into the marketplace. Yes. You know, I would say by the minute, maybe it sucks. Like when you're riding that roller coaster and you're in that trough, like that pit, even though I've been there a hundred times, I'm going to be there a hundred times more. It doesn't feel any less uncomfortable. And anyway, you just got to yeah. kind of not grin and bear it, but. Yeah, well, grin and bear it. I mean, yeah, and you, and you can you know, frown and bear it or you can grin and bear it. You, know, <laughs> you get a choice on that one. But, you know, I came across this thing the other day. Uh, if you're on the right path, it will always be uphill. And that I just seems to make yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. Because it's about building muscle. If I'm if yeah. I'm on the wrong path and I'm, and it's going downhill, I'm not I'm I'm really not building any muscle. I'm not building anything new. And yeah, oh no, I, I love that. Like, think if you're lifting weights and you're lifting a one pound weight, do you think your muscle is building muscle? No, your muscle. There's no resistance to that. So I think that's a, that's absolutely correct. The nature of life is evidenced in nature. Nature grows, and all of nature honors the desire to be more to have more, and to do more. Life thrives when it's allowed to grow. And ideally, thriving is what we also, all of us, want to be able to do. Unfortunately, at some stage in life, most people find themselves settling into what I can only call a rut. And a rut is nothing more than a coffin with the ends kicked out. You want to quickly get out of any rut that you find yourself in. When you stop growing, that's when the coffin starts to appear. You know, the simple truth is this, and this is true for everything in nature. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Every one of us dies. So the question we need to come to grips with is not are we going to die. The question nature asks us to answer is are we truly living? That's what motivation is about. It's the desire to move. It's the desire to grow and to excel. Have I lived? How have I lived? I'd love for you to take advantage of my Leadership Mindset Masterclass. It's all about providing you with the tools to ensure thriving for yourself and for those around you. Register today to receive the free introduction video and find out more about this acclaimed program. You'll also receive a copy of my international number one bestseller, Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business. I'm Blaine Bartlett, and I look forward to helping you thrive. You, at one point in the book here, and um, I, I want to you know, kind of hone in on this, you talked about the trap of getting fixated on an outcome. 
Yes. Not, not, not the expression of the idea, but a, a specific form of the idea being expressed. Can you talk a yeah. little bit about that? Because I've seen people do yes. that a lot. And it's hard, oh my to, goodness. hard to break the death grip on that. And it's hard because, okay, so obviously, like, I, in my book, I'm like, you know, see, start, do, finish, see. You have to visualize the the end result, right? But the end result, can I tell you, has has infinite forms. There isn't just one outcome, okay? Yes. And what happens is we trap ourselves by this very specific outcome. And when you do that, you're looking at the possibilities like this. And you're missing all the other wonderful things that could be in store that might even be better than this outcome that you've set for yourself. So, uh, which is why, like, you know, the soul, like the essence of why you're doing and the purpose of why you're doing what you're doing is really important. Because if you are very clear on that, then it, the variable outcomes are infinite. You're open to those alternatives because you're just focused on the essence of your purpose. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. And we do this activity um, in, in creative gym and we call it um, a personal mission statement. You know how businesses Mm -hmm. have a mission statement and it's just a guiding principle. It's not like a rule to live by. And to me, for a person, we write personal mission statements and it's a lighthouse for your life. And it's not fixed. You can change it anytime. And it's a Mad Lib, like my name is blank and my life mission is to blank. Right. And, you know, we have like graduate students typically. So they're like in their mid to late twenties. And I mean, they're going to adjust that three or four different times in their lifetime. But I'm telling you, if you set that lighthouse and you're clear on that, it doesn't matter what path you choose because now people are fraught with like oh my god I don't know if I should take that job I don't know if I should do this it's like (laughs) is is it aligned with your lighthouse you're golden you're golden yeah yeah I used to uh you know work well I've done a lot of different things here but one of the I used to teach uh encounter groups uh or lead encounter groups way back in the uh, 1970s yeah Stanford Research Institute, SRI, and yeah, some oh, some okay. of the pearls had done. I mean, just yeah, you know, pretty intense you know, sort of things. And one of the things that we used to work with was around, you know, what's your what is it that you want in your life? And we started playing with you know, kind of a, a question structure, and it was yes, experience you're seeking, and you're just yeah. drilling down with that question until at some point you get to this is what I want. And it's always around experience. It's never around the symbol, you know, like the dollar figure or the relationship. I mean, all of that sort of, the nothing Nothing tangible. It's about the experience. Then we would look at, okay, how do you create that experience in your life? Yeah. And it's not about that job. Like you started with the job. Like if, if I made SVP, that will give me like the freedom or whatever it is that you think you need. And with that exercise, which I actually um, have in the book and it's a riff okay. off Bernie. You must know Bernie Roth at the D school. I, I know been, who he is. Yeah. Yeah. So he was, I mean, in his book, the achievement habit, and he has a class around this and it's exactly the activity you just described. So he says, like, what do you want? I want that job. Why do you want that job? So I can spend more time with my family. Why do you want to spend more time with your family? 
you know, so I can have a really deep relationship with my children. Why do you want a deep relationship? Like you just keep putting your answer as the question until you get to the root of what it is that you truly need. Right. And, yeah. and it's never really about the thing you started with ever. Which goes back to the whole definition of success. It's a pursuit of a worthy ideal. The worthy ideal is never the symbol that you think it is. It's something that that symbol yeah. represents. And yeah. for for those yeah. in business, when they're listening to this, you know, this this particular episode, I want you to take take some time uh, and and work that with yourself. Take a get a piece of paper. I get a tablet out. And just you know, what do you want? What's the experience you're looking for? And take that experience. That becomes a new one. Just dig down. See what you end up with. And uh, kind of play with it. And, and that would be, I think, partly you know, the admonition here is play with it rather than get serious about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Like, I mean, obviously you've in your line of work, how many people do you know or have encountered in their lives what, who like, I need to sell my company. I need to get my company funded. I need X. I need Y. And then when that X or Y happens, they're still not satiated. They're not happy yeah. or it didn't deliver whatever it is that they were expecting out of that event. Yeah. Right. It, it yep. didn't meet the need that they were seeking. Their wallet ends up being fuller than their life. And that's a, uh, that's tragic. <laughs> yeah, no. And you know what, that happened to me when um, we had this bootstrap magazine called ready-made magazine and yeah. man, like it was, I mean, publishing a magazine back then really was a business and we ended up selling it. But now like that would never happen. And we kept saying, if we had more money, if we had a higher circ, if somebody would buy us and we wanted all these things to relieve ourselves of the stress of bootstrapping this endeavor. And um, we ended up selling it. And I got to tell you, when after we sold it, those were the worst years of my trajectory or like my experience in that endeavor than, you know, whatever pain and suffering of bootstrapping I had before that. Because yeah. um, all of a sudden we were like slave to a bottom line. All of a sudden it was, it just like, wasn't about, it wasn't about the soul of our business. It was about all these other metrics we had to hit. Yep. And it was, it was awful. It was awful. And yes, we were relieved of all the financial, you know, stresses or stressors that we had, but it was just replaced by another set of stress that yeah. externally imposed metrics. Yep. That more painful. <laughs> more. What and this will be my kind of my last uh, uh curiosity question here is we're kind of looking at the clock a little bit here, but creativity's um just this fascinating field to me. And I've got, you know, a very good friend of mine, a fellow by the name of Barnett Bain. Uh, Barnett uh, is a film producer, uh, director, writer, got an Academy Award, uh, is really, yeah, you know, he's written a couple of books on creativity and lectures on it. Um, and I've asked him this question, kind of, where, where did you get interested in this area of creativity, imagination, creativity, you know, that sort of thing? And I would like to ask you that because yeah, that, that man, people think about creativity, but not a lot of people study creativity. What sets you on the path to study? Because you did a study on this. What what sets you on the path to study the nature of creativity? So the research project, um, I told you the story about the brain surgeon who said, am yeah. I different? 
And it definitely ties back to the D school because we spend a lot of time, you know, teaching students, like thousands of students come through, you know, the walls of the D school. And we have no way of measuring our success unless um, one of our students goes out and does something amazing, right? Like, so they do, they go out and there's something that they do that's, that's very impactful. Um, occasionally, like, there are self-reported like, yes, I feel more creative. I feel, but obviously the reliability of that is very thin. Um, So what was just kind of groundbreaking about the study that we did is that we have scientific evidence. We have fMRI scans that prove that new neural correlates were created for the participants who underwent an abbreviated version of Creative Gym. and. We also showed, and it was a crossover study. So there was like the test group, the placebo group. The test group did creative gym. The placebo group did Mandarin letter tracing, character tracing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of creative, not really. You're not really creating anything. And then they, then they switched, right? And then we have, I mean, if you, if you or I participated in that study, we would have been through an fMRI scanner. And for anybody who's been in one before, they're awful, right? And yeah, it's a loud, clean move. These participants went through the fMRI scanner one, two, I think four times to be in the study. Um, And nobody had ever done a study uh, quite this way. It's the first longitudinal crossover study. But more importantly, that what was surprising about the outcome, where I already told you that, yes, you can teach creativity. And two, it is a muscle you have to maintain. So, you know, once you're creative, you can slip if you don't maintain it, is that um, where we thought creativity lived wasn't the same. And kind of the tagline is think less, do more. So it is about taking action. It is like just to bring it full circle. It is about the bias to action that we talked about in the beginning of our conversation. The more people think about or thought about what they're doing. And I mean, don't take this as like just blindly start doing stuff and that's not what we're saying. It's in these constrained activities, right? When Uh people spent more time thinking about it, when that part of the brain was activated, where they were thinking those outcomes were less creative than the subjects who thought less. So that was like the surprising, oh, okay. Which kind of supports this bias to action that we talked about. Yeah. Ready, yeah. fire, aim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you got to get ready first. You got to get yeah. ready. Yeah. But, you know, creativity, I got to say, like, I think about the definition. We spent six months really carefully picking the words of what creativity was defined at the D school. Because when you think about, like, if I say blue, it was blue. Like, you might be envisioning the blue outside your window. I might be envisioning the blue in the Caribbean from a vacation five years ago. Like there's just so many shades of blue, just like as there are definitions of creativity in the world. So I think like we had to really specify what we meant by that. And for us, it was, um, I think it was like a state of being where there, that created um, a meaningful outcome, but where you synthesize um, probably unoriginal bits of information into a meaningful outcome and the meaningful outcome is that's the part that you mentioned yeah that's the key the meaningful outcome folks who've been mm-hmm. listening um 
Grace Hawthorne. Uh, I want you to pick up her book. It's on Amazon. Uh, Make Possibilities Happen. I'm going to show the book again here for those of you that are watching the video on this. And, and feel free to go to my YouTube channel and, and watch watch the interview here. Um, go to it. You, know, you can get the copy on Amazon. If you do pick it up, um, do Grace a favor. Do me a favor. Uh, give a five-star positive review on it. Uh, it makes a difference to, me, <laughs> to these authors. It really does. I know it's made a difference in my books. Um, where can people find out more about what you're up to, Grace? Um, they can hop over to Gracie May, G-R-A-C-I-E-M-A-D-E. It's just sort of has little snippets of projects that I've been doing. And one that I've never mentioned before that I'm going to mention here, just because it's an experiment of sorts. I originally um, kind of built it like, oh, I'm going to have a site on the book. And so there's a site called Possibility Post. And it's a place where you can post up and share your goals, ambitions, and wishes for your life. And I feel like the first step is getting out of your head what it is that you want to achieve. And this is digital. It's really easy. And if you provide your email, you can actually go back and look at what you wished for. And the visual is kind of like a swimming fishbowl of people's desires and wishes. And I think it should be a place of positivity where people plant their dreams and when you shoot the moon, there's so much energy in that, right? Like oh when people wish for the ideal and the best outcome for themselves and for others, I think there's a lot of a really wonderful kind of momentum and energy and power behind that that we can all just share with each other. So that's just that. kind of a side and, gig. And, <laughs> side, and, side and, and both of those sites are dot coms, and I will have those in the uh, the show notes. So folks, don't worry about it if you missed it. Uh, They'll be in the show notes here. Um, Grace Hawthorne, adjunct professor at Stanford University's Design School. Um, her re- uh, research, you know, creativity research, uh, has been published in Science Magazine. It's been picked up by Wired Magazine. Um, she just does some incredible stuff from an art perspective. She's uh, got some of her original art in uh, the Smithsonian. Uh, so, I mean, this is the real deal. She's the real deal. And there is stuff here that you're going to absolutely love. So go to her websites, uh, take advantage of it and find a way in your life. This is my closing comment here to be a center of distribution in your life, not a center of accumulation. You're going to find work, life, love, everything works better when you are in the mode of giving it away. You take care. I love that. I love that. Thanks, Grace. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.